0: Welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back once again on my lonesome to look at the May 6, 1996 episodes of Raw and Nitro. These episodes of Raw and Nitro have possibly the biggest ratings swing that I've seen since um, covering the show with RAW taking a four point one to, uh, sorry, yeah, RAW taking a four point one to Nitro is one point nine, which feel free to correct me on, but I think might be the biggest gap to date. I'm not really sure why that is. I didn't find any info that suggested why Nitro would have such a low rating. Um, so we'll have a look and see whether or not that's reflected in the quality of the shows. But an interesting note there. Um, obviously, we're sort of in the midway point between pay per views uh, coming off of Good Friends, Better Enemies, and the. Um, Well, we didn't have a WCW pay-per-view, but we're sort of in no man's land trying to get all the new storylines reset, and obviously there's going to be some characters jumping backwards and forward in the upcoming month or two, Uh, notably Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are both WCW-bound, and I'm very much looking forward to their debut over there. But that is still in the future. For now, we have some wrestling to cover. We watch Raw first, so we're going to head over and see what they've got to offer. to the very recently passed Ray Stevens and then after they make that announcement we go straight to our first segment of the show which is straight out of Unsolved Mysteries it is a mysterious woman blacked out so you can't see her face talking about how she's the former wife of a pro wrestler yes they actually wrote pro wrestler on the screen not sports entertainer and said that Sean has ruined her marriage and life. So they're really going in hard on this Sean Michaels' homewrecker storyline, talking about how she's left her husband or he's left her because she was having an affair with Sean Michaels. Of course, you'd be right in assuming she takes none of the blame for actually, you know, getting to bed with someone when she was married. But hey, it is what it is. From there, we go to our first matchup of the evening, and this is one that's certainly going to make Carl upset. It's the 1-2-3 kid versus Mark Miro, the match that he was ruining not getting on the pay-per-view on our last episode together. And just to make things even more interesting, we have Triple H on commentary, and the kid does his little karate stance with throwing up the, um, the old two sweet hand gesture as well, so a little bit of a shout-out for his click members here. When the match gets started, Miro hits a nice shoulder tackle and a Japanese arm drag, and Triple H, for some reason, is putting on some really poor, phony accent. It might still be like a hangover from his um, Jean-Pierre Lafitte French uh, character from WCW, but it really sounds pretty terrible. Ah. Miro hits a drop kick which sends the kid over the top rope, then hits a plancher, which he overshoots a little bit and very nearly lands on his head, so that could have been disastrous. Back in the ring, and the kid hits some nice kicks in the corner, followed by a drop kick and a sleeper, then a leg sweep and a pair of clotheslines, and he does those really cool lightning-quick leg drops that he's become famous for. He locks on the sleeper again, and we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Miro fires away with a backdrop, a -a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, and a pair of top rope axe handles, which picks up a two-count. Um, But then Triple H interferes, crutching Mark Miro on the ropes while the referee is distracted. This allows the 1-2-3 kid to climb the turnbuckles and hit him with a superplex, but Miro reverses it in midair to a crossbody while Triple H isn't paying any attention and picks up the 1-2-3 for the victory in not a bad opening contest. Um, Would have liked to have seen it go a little bit longer and maybe get the kid a bit more offense just to speed it up a little bit as well, but pretty decent. From there, we go backstage to a promo with Ted DiBiase and Steve Austin, and this is one of those times I wish the podcast was a video rather than audio format, because I want to show you Stone Cold in wraparound sunglasses looking like a complete douchebag. He's got those really 90s mirror wraparound shades on and just looks like a tool. Um, DiBiase accepts a strap match that's been proposed by Savio Vega on Austin's behalf on the proviso that if Savio loses a strap match, he will become Ted DiBiase's chauffeur. From there, we go to our next contest, which is Fatou taking on the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Before that, we have a commercial break, and in the um, the segue through the commercial break, we see the woman blacked out again, telling us that Sean smelt so good, so she took him to bed. Well, you know, nice aftershave can do it for a woman, but normally it takes a little bit more than that, so, you know. She also calls him a homebreaker. um but she does say he was the best she ever had. So, you know, it's not enough that they're um, insinuating that Shawn Michaels is breaking up marriages. They have to make it quite clear he's good in bed as well. Ego trip here, or is it just Vince playing um, up the Shawn Michaels superhero stereotype that he used to do back in this period of time? I'll let you be the judge. Another interesting point that she raises during this little spiel is that she he used Shawn pronouns pal as they would say on something to wrestle um sean used her to get the psychological edge and beat her man so we can sort of insinuate that whoever this wife belongs to or used to belong to is a former opponent of sean michaels in fairly recent memory so adds another little twist into the plot that will probably never pay off when the Bulldog makes his entrance for the match, he comes out with Jim Cornette and his wife, Diana, and Fatou gets a USA, USA chance started, um, which makes me laugh a little bit. He then hits some shoulder blocks, kicks, and a headbutt, but the Bulldog powders to the outside. When he comes back in, he clotheslines Fatou out of the ring, does some push-ups, and the Shawn Michaels pose. They brawl along the outside and Fatou hits his shoulder into the post. And then Vince McMahon begins to shill the Kuwaiti trip on commentary. And I just think, oh no, this is where it all goes south for Vader. Jim Cornette chokes Fatou behind the referee's back. And then we see Fatu's family members come to ringside. If you haven't seen them before, this angle doesn't really go anywhere. But the family members are wrestlers Samu and LA Smooth of ECW fame. Um, yeah, and it goes absolutely nowhere. So look it up on this episode if you want to see who they are. In the ring, Fatu hits a sleeper, but the Bulldog hits him with a low blow and then hits his, um, or hits a slam, not his Bulldog slam, misses a leg drop. Fatu comes back with a cutter, but the Bulldog hits a clothesline, which sends Fatu doing a flip with the old Rikishi bump. And then the Bulldog hits his proper power slam for the one, two, three, giving him a little bit of momentum before he challenges Sean for the belt. We get told that on this episode of Raw, it is brought to you by Burger King and the US Army. So, there you go. And then we go to our next matchup, which is a scintilla- scintillating tag team affair. It is the Body Donners taking on Techno Team 2000, Troy and Travis. Yep, yeah, that is about as shit as it sounds. When the match gets underway, we have a double leap frob- leapfrog spot by Techno Team 2000, followed by a double hip toss. Uh, we get some... Weird side story of Harvey Whippleman out taking notes on the referees for Gorilla Monsoon, so apparently we're looking at whether or not they're doing a good job. And to really date this show as if having a team named 2000 didn't do so, Jerry Lawler on commentary tells us about a new pill that's about to be released that's going to change the lives of impotent men. So yes, they are shilling the upcoming invention and release of Viagra. We go to a commercial break and when we come back, the Body Donners hit a nice double flapjack and we see the new Rockers backstage acting like goofs. The Body Donners hit a double slingshot suplex for a two count and Kip up. We then get a missed top rope elbow drop, but Skip hits a top rope Rana and Zip comes off with a top rope axe handle to the member of Techno team that was actually lay on the floor after the Rana, which was interesting. That's enough to pick up the one, two, three and the victory for the Body Donners. From there, we go backstage, so JR can interview Jim Cornette and Vader, who cut a promo on Yokozuna, which I will splice in right
1: here. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Ross, Cornette, I believe, yes, the man they call Vader. Indeed, Vince, I'm here with Jim Cornette and Vader, and of course, gentlemen, we will never, ever forget what happened right here on Raw. Vader at 450. strokes and then coming down right there right there you see what he did to yokozuna's life but i want to tell you something gentlemen on may the 26th yokozuna's gonna be
0: 100 percent and he's looking for you no 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 don't worry big man he ain't gonna be 100 percent it's a bunch of lies because he'll never be 100 percent again because yokozuna you're a 650 pound man with one bad wheel and it's not gonna hold up to the stress and the strain when vader comes after you again because you may have his power you may have his size but he's got the quickness you never had. I he's think. got the agility you never had. And most of all, Yokozuna, he's got the heart <laughs> that you like. That remains to be seen. his, his, his is as black as yours Jim and Ross. even blacker. I've got a question for him. All right, Mr. McMahon's got a question and, for you. Ask him about Dumpster next week. What about Duke the Dumpster Drossy right here next week? Oh, let me tell you something. If it's
2: time to take out the trash, then I can't think of a better garbage man than the man they call
0: Vader. Dumpster, your future's looking very, very dim, because next week, You gotta
1: face this, and you ain't gonna last.
0: So yeah, very exciting announcement that we're going to see Vader taking on Duke the Dumpster Drozzy next week on Raw. Well, it is what it is. I still like Vader, and a good squash from Vader should be interesting, if nothing else. And from there, we go to our main event of the evening. It is Owen Hart taking on The Undertaker. As you may have heard during that clip, Dust music is playing, because he's coming out to join the commentary team. And very fittingly, there is a gold headset there waiting for him. Really thought that was a nice touch. We're told that Gold Dust will take on The Undertaker in a casket match at the next pay-per-view. Um, Gold dust freaks out at this announcement and leaves the commentary booth, but as he's walking back, the gong for the Undertaker signals, and he kind of freaks out at that as well, so he stops dead. He goes back towards the commentary team, and Owen Hart in the ring goes to avoid the Undertaker's strikes and hit back with strikes of his own. Undertaker eventually does catch him though and tosses him into the corner and hits some signature Undertaker strikes in there, followed by a lifting choke. Owen Hart kicks at the leg of the Undertaker and begins to focus his attack there as Goldust on commentary uh, talks about Paul Bearer and Jerry Lawler calls him a chubby chaser. Yep. Goldust unbuttons the shirt of Paul Bearer and begins to touch him and then touches his bum and this is enough for Paul Bearer, master of the mind games with the Undertaker, to freak out and leave. Owen Hart continues to work over the leg of the Undertaker in the ring, hits a knee drop and a missile drop kick. He attempts a sharpshooter, but the Undertaker hits him with the goozle. Doesn't choke chokeslam him though, nails him with a big boot, and tosses him to the floor. Goldust tries to help Owen Hart and then tries to push him back in the ring, but again touches his bum, which distracts Owen Hart, allowing Undertaker to grab him in the tombstone for the 1 2 3. Paul Bearer, who had run off after being touched up by Goldust, comes back out wheeling a casket. Goldust backs into that while facing the Undertaker in the ring and legs it away. And I wonder, why is everyone so scared of caskets? And which is scarier in the WWF, caskets or snakes? That's a question for the listeners. Please tweet me and let me know which one you think. But this is something I've pondered many times before. Is Jake's snake or The Undertaker's casket the scariest thing in the WWF? Overall, not too bad of a show. Some decent wrestling all throughout. Nothing was terrible. Nothing was brilliant. Um, and a little bit of storyline advancement, though nothing overly memorable on this show. Decent affair, good sort of of middle-of-the-road show. Let's head over and see if Nitro can top it with something a little bit more spectacular. I'm familiar with, uh, doubly so, because halfway through watching it, my youngest daughter managed to get a hold of my notes, scribble over them, and rip them to pieces, so I had to start all over again. And both times, it started with the commentary team of Steve Mungo, McMichael, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Eric Bischoff, talking about how they're at Daytona Beach, and Pepe is dressed like a sailor, because Mungo believes sailors can get lucky at Daytona Beach. Bobby Heenan's microphone's not really working here, and a little bit of a production gaff to start with, so you don't really hear anything he says. And they throw to our first contest, which is the Macho Man, Randy Savage, taking on the Laughing Man, Hugh Morris. Bischoff tells us about the upcoming debut of Hog Wild, and Hugh Morris jumps the Macho Man early on the floor, slams him on the floor, accidentally stands on his sunnies, which kind of makes the next spot look a bit goofy when he puts on Macho's hat jacket and broken sunglasses, Macho Man attacks him back, though, and dicks the broken sunglasses into the eye of Hugh Morris, which was quite cool, chokes him with the jacket, and then wraps the jacket around his neck and hangs him over the ropes. He won't let go, so this forces the referee to call for a disqualification and attempts to pull the Macho Man off. The Macho Man goes up and hits a top rope elbow. The referee then pushes Macho Man for going too far. The referee... Referee then cops an ungodly slap by Macho. He then body slams a ref. A second ref comes in to plead with him while Macho's up top, but he jumps over that referee and hits the original ref with a top rope elbow. This brings out security to get the Macho man out of there as we go to a commercial break after a bit of a wild start. When we come back, WCW, like Raw did earlier, deb- uh, debut... WCW, like Raw, did dedicate their show to Ray Stevens, and they flash a little graphic on screen that says donations can be made to the Cauliflower Alley Club, which Ray was a big part of in lieu of doing anything for the family, so that's a nice classy touch as well. We then go to our next contest, which is Dean Malenko taking on and Thunder Liger, and this was something I thought was very cool. We're told that Japanese wrestler Otani has won the cruiserweight belt in Japan and the American cruiserweights are now going to be gunning for him to bring that back. And the match gets started with some nice quick chain wrestling. Jushin Liger hits a nice enziguri, which of course Bischoff calls a back leg ground kick. We then get Ric Flair, Woman and Liz coming out, not to the ring, but sort of off to the side, a little bit like where the commentary table is, to sit at a nicely decorated, we're told, five-star table where they will drink champagne and eat fine food. In the ring, Jushin Liger hits a nice brain buster for a two and we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Malenko hits a nice leg lariat and puts on a leg lock and then begins working over the leg of Liger. Liger comes back with a back elbow for a two across body from the top rope to the floor, which is quite cool. Malenko then gets back in the ring and hits a beautiful top rope gut buster, they're really pulling out some big stops here, but Liger then counters a powerbomb for a two count with a roll up before Malenko hits a version of the Pearl River Plunge for the 1-2-3 in a really good match that as usual I would like to have been given a little bit more time. From there, we go to a commercial break. And when we come back, it's Gene with Ric Flair, Liz and Woman cutting a promo on the Macho Man, talking about how the Giant got lucky and not really selling the title loss too much at this stage. And then they talk about the Lethal Lottery because, yes, for some reason in 1996, that is still a thing. Flair then sends um, for a cocktail... uh, Sorry, sends a cocktail to Deborah, who is once again in the crowd. She's getting up some frequent flyer miles the last month or so appearing in the front row of all these shows, Deborah accepts a drink and then pours it to the floor. From there, we go to a very curious little tidbit, a hype video for the upcoming Glacier. Um, It's a little bit hard because it's mostly um, video rather than any actual words to splice it and show you what it was all about. So instead, I'm going to put in here a little segment of Glacier talking about why his character took so long to debut and didn't necessarily hit the ground running.
2: Your debut, a little bit. Um, from what I understand, what I understand, um, was they they shot the the the, the vignettes, and then they started airing them, and for whatever reason, Eric wasn't real. It wasn't what he wanted. I don't know why. And, And so they. Just it was. I never got a clear answer. All I knew was that Eric it wasn't what Eric wanted. Right. And somehow Andre could never convey to me what it was that we had to fix. And I don't know if Eric, would, but it was just it was just kind of delayed. It was a typical WCW. Yeah. Like okay, well no one seems to know why. You know. But uh, but then of course when I finally came out, um, you know it was, you know uh, then that's when you know the Midway Company basically said wait a minute you know this, this looks too much like like our character you know and uh, what happened with it. I never forget, I got a call, and Eric it's said, Come to my office. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm. At, huh. yeah, it's like the principal calling me. I, yeah. like I thought I was in trouble, you know? And uh, I'll never forget, once again, I say that a lot, but there are certain moments in WCW that I never forget. Um, I walked into his office, and he said, uh, it's, You know, Midway Company's threatening a lawsuit, you know? And, and I said, So, I'm, first of all, I'm thinking, Oh, well, maybe it's my career, it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was It was nice while it lasted. And he said, uh, And so I said, What does this mean? And he said, I said, so uh, we're gonna fight it and i remember him saying you know there's nothing i like better than a good fight he said but if we fight this he said we're gonna lose and lose big he said we can't fight this and so i said well why don't we just change the costume and he said i can't afford another 35 grand <laughs> and i said trust me i don't think it'll be that right. so i went back to andre i said all we gotta do is change the tights i said because you know sub-zero doesn't wear the armor didn't wear the helmet you know, the mask, I think we could get away with, right. you know, and uh, and so I said, get rid- I hated the, the thing that he painted my eye. I hated that. So I said, that's the first thing to go, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was, I hated the helmet. I wanted to get rid of the helmet as quick as I could. I absolutely hated the helmet. I actually, for whoever's got it on it, I actually had, you know, one, and, and I hope Andre doesn't get mad at me for this, but he gave me a copy of the helmet. I had to my myself on eBay. All right. I got rid of it. I was just like, it just brought back too many bad memories. <laughs> yeah, guess. How much I mean, did you get for it? I don't even remember. I don't even remember. I think I got like 300 bucks or right. something, you know, which is probably one that was worth, but uh, but um, I mean, but, you know, I can't, obviously I can't I can't hate it too much. I mean, it was a part of what got me through all this, but but you know, it was just, you know, the, I was trying to carry in that whole costume and trying to keep up with that helmet and stuff. And hmm. So, when, so when, uh, when Vandy and Candy finally took it from me, I was like, good, Vandy, you can carry it now. Right. <laughs> so. What are your memories of your debut? Man, I'll tell you what. Well, first of all, before the debut, um, you know, of course, yeah, I already had the, the word was going around that, that I already had gotten a nickname before guys even met me that I was like, you know, the golden boy because I was Eric's I was Eric's project. It's like, you know, I'm writing in the sheets all that stuff. Yeah, he's yeah. not to be touched basically. You know, I'm thinking, I didn't ask for all that, man. I just wanted I just want to want to wrestle, you know. Right. And uh, so I knew right then, okay, well, you're going to have a lot of heat coming in the locker room. You know, you, you, you better just do, you know, act professional, be humble, don't you know, don't speak unless spoken to, you know. And uh, and that's what I did. I mean, but they there were certain powers that be, and, and I found out a couple of years later that were um, that, that didn't like the gimmick and, and really did a lot to try to sabotage it. You know, any I names? Mean, uh, I'd rather not. Maybe no. in my deathbed. You know, I, say, I never know if I'm going back to wrestling or not. You know, but uh, but. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and I, I don't, I found out that like it wasn't necessarily personal, it was just they didn't like the gimmick. You, know? you think and, they and felt threatened by it? No, I just don't think they liked it. Okay. You know, and, uh, but, um, uh, and, you know, which is fine. I mean, because, you know, when you're in, you know, that kind of power where you can veto something, you know, I mean, my only thing was I, I felt like that, that I was kept in the dark about it. I wish they would have come to me and, and, and I could have said, what can I change? What can I do to make you happy? I'll, right. be, I'll be the puppy dog. Just, I just make you happy, man. I'm just happy to be here, you know? Right. I want to do my best. But, um, but then, you know, the, the, they built up. You know, I was just starting to do the simple math. I was like, okay, well, here I am. They're doing all this big hype and this big build-up. And then the first match they're ever really going to show me is on WCW Pro on a Sunday night, which is the generic show. Mm. And so I kind of started thinking, well... But then I was you know, I was like, hey, I'm not asking questions. I was like your typical company guy. I'm happy to be here. Just tell me what you need me to do.
0: So there you have it. Those of you that haven't heard of Glacier, I don't know too much about it. A little bit of the backstory there and something new for you to chew on. ...on the show. From the Glacier promo, we go to a Slim Jim ad with the Macho Man, which is always entertaining. And from there, we go into our next contest, which is Sting taking on Steve Regal. Um, Sting's not wearing his tag title, which is something that's annoyed me a few times in WCW... ...where the tag champs, particularly Sting and Luga come out for singles matches and don't bother wearing it. Regal has a nice black eye, courtesy of his um, little parking lot brawl with Finley not too long back. And the match gets started with a backdrop from Sting... Who then goes for a lockup before we go to a commercial break? We uh, are told that Finley, uh, or the Belfast Bruiser, as he was being called here, is very badly injured, um, and he's not going to be able to compete in the lethal lottery. So Dave Taylor will now be Regal's partner instead. We get a lot of stalling, and then we get a little bit of chain wrestling. Um, we get a drop kick from Sting and a couple of Japanese arm drags, a slam, a couple of clotheslines before Regal goes for a double underhook, which Sting reverses into a backdrop and lands on top of him for the 1-2-3. A little bit of a weird finish and a weird move there. And Regal, of course, selling the effects of the parking lot brawl, didn't get a lot of offense in. We have a commercial break and we'll hold that up next will be Lex Luger challenging the Giant for his newly won World Heavyweight title. When we come back, we've got Sting's music playing over the top of the announcers and then... Lex Luger no-shows his title match. Very, very strange. The storyline going here is Sting wants the belt, but keeps on no-showing when it's his opportunity to wrestle for it. And don't worry, we've got a suitable replacement. If you're thinking uh, WWF USA Lex Express Lex Luger, who would be the next best person for that kind of character, you would be right in saying it's a good old Hacksaw, Mr. USA himself, coming out for a title match in 1996. So straight away, this dropped off a cliff. Ring announcers tell us that Jim Duggan has offered to take Lex's spots. the match is on. He jumps the Giant on his way to the ring and gets a USA chant going. He hits some strikes before Giant puts him in the corner and chokes him with his boot uh, and does the old Andre mudslide ass to the face maneuver. Duggan goes for a slam because he's a fucking idiot and then they brawl along the outside. Duggan pulls out some tape and goes for the old tape wrist because it's twice as strong, five times as strong as a normal punch. But before he can actually get them on, he eats a really poor looking choke slam. Um, which he sandbags a little bit for my money. I might be wrong, but, you know, I don't think he made the Giant look too impressive there, and it's enough to win him my dick move of the week for no other reason that I just can't believe he's in the main event and he's not making your monster champion look strong either. It is enough for the 1-2-3, though, and then Giant does a second chokeslam, which was marginally better, so definitely an improvement, but nothing great. A bunch of jobbers come out to try and protect Duggan, and they all eat chokeslams. They all, of course, eat chokeslams better than the one Duggan took, so that's that. Uh, We get Ric Flair coming out with a wooden chair, which he breaks over the Giant, who no-sells it. Then Sting comes out and hits some chop blocks and nails Jimmy Hart. Ric Flair walks out on this now and leaves Sting to fend for himself, and Giant won't go down, so he goes up top the Sting, that is, uh, and nails him. He goes for a Scorpion Deathlock, but Jimmy Hart nails him with a megaphone. This brings out Luger with a briefcase, and Jimmy Hart then pulls the Giant out and stops him going at it anymore. So we've still got this little bit of uh, Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger in cahoots here, which is continuing that storyline quite nicely. Gene comes out, and for the second time on the night, a microphone's not working, so we don't really get much of an explanation here. Sting does question why Lex Luger keeps skipping out on title matches, and they argue as we go off the air, which is a really good ending, Gaff aside, um, because it's continuing this storyline, giving, giving us a bit of a cliffhanger, and it's got plenty of bodies in the main event scene now, so Hogan and Savage can obviously be inserted back in there at any time, Flair's just lost the belt and is still hanging around in there, Giant has just gained the belt, and Sting and Luger are both becoming pretty decent contenders in there as well, so a decent ending to a pretty solid show, again, like Raw, nothing astronomical happened like no major storylines but good wrestling throughout nothing terrible happened and a decent placeholder of a show that's going to make things a little bit difficult to pick a winner but as you know that's my job so we're going to head over there and do that right now We'll start with the obvious one, and that's production values. And as we said, WCW had a few little production slip-ups in this um, episode, so Raw definitely picked up the nod there. From there, we're going to go to match quality straight away this week, which is a bit of a tough one because both sides had fairly decent wrestling overall. But for the Dean Malenko-Jushin Thunder Liger match, I'm going to give that the victory. I think their cruiserweights outperformed the cruiserweights on Raw, and that's just enough to edge it on what was pretty... Two decent shows when it comes to wrestling action. For characters, I'm going to go with Nitro as well. Even though they didn't have Hogan, all their matches had fairly big-name players in it. They opened up with Macho Man. Dean and Liger are big names in that Cruiserweight division. Sting is in one match, and then you've got Giant defending the title in the other match. So really no... Sort of giveaway matches Whereas Body Donners Versus Techno Team 2000 Is not exactly littered With future main event stars So Nitro picks up the win Even though Raw Did feature quite a few Big name talents On their show as well Storylines I went with a tie Because Nitro advanced The um, Sting Luger storyline The Macho Man's a Psycho storyline And Raw advanced The Undertaker Goldust storyline And the um, British Bulldog Sean storyline So both had two solid, decent storyline advancements on the show, so I couldn't really split them there. And that takes us to our last one, which is Crowd Heat, and I went with Nitro again for that one. I thought the crowd were into everything that happened pretty much, though again, it was close and not really much to call it. So there you have it. Despite the big ratings win for Raw, I thought Nitro was actually the better show on this night, so... Feel free to disagree with me or agree with me on that one. But that was how I saw it on the night. Two decent, fairly good, enjoyable shows. Neither were tough to watch, but I thought Nitro edged it out. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. As always, um, check out our other shows. I've got shows coming up uh, with Carl and with Richie and Duncan... Again, in the near future, Uh, I'm currently watching Wrestle Rock 86 after having just finished the big event to review those with Richie next, and then we'll see what else I get in before I travel overseas in a few weeks' time. Uh, You can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email. Um, or leave us a five-star review on iTunes, which is always very helpful. Any feedback or comments on the show, please get in touch. And if you have any audio submissions for any shows we've got coming up that you want to send in, please do so. Always happy to get extra voices on the show. That'll do it for me today. Thank you all for listening, and I will be in touch with you all again very soon.
1: Similar to the thriller in Manila Hunnies call me bigger, the condom filler Whether it's stiff tongue or stiff Biggie squeeze it to make Fit. Now check, I got the pack of Rough Riders yeah. in the back of the Pathfinder You know the epilogue by James Todd Smith, I get swift with the lyrical gift Hit you with the d***, make <laughs> Here we go, here we go, but i my domino I got the phone flow to make your drawers drop slow So recognize the size in these Hawk and I jeans I wear 13s, know what I mean I around and hit you with the Hennessy Mess around and go blind, don't get deceived The next batter, hear the shatter, Your black blatter, it doesn't matter to wait the game from the truth Big Bang boots from the Bronx to Bolivia Getting physical like Olivia new Tricks up my clique all day with no trivia So give me a f*** a bank roll and a bag of weed I'm guaranteed to f*** until I nosebleed Even if the new man's a certified Mac to get that h telling you. you want that old thing G I E with some new R.U.L.E. Notorious, no for busting in your E.Y.E. Baby, baby, bitches know they love and hate me. I come you come, we come, we back to maybe. How close we came to coming together is crazy. How come you in your sis, make similar faces. When y'all come and y'all be crying like I'm y'all be f***ing. I know there's a bigger picture than the camera roll. Because I don't think y'all be knowing how the f***s back shots in the rear, got the f*** unloading. Gotta reload like every so often. And hit my man next Sex get rougher when they come to the nut-busser The crusher, like black nasty I don't chase them, I replace them And if I'm caressing them, I'm undressing them What you heard, who's the best in New York? Fulfilling fantasies without the Mr. Raw Or Tattoo, I got you wrapped